Molly King, are you ready for the podcast? Matt, you know the answer to that always, but can you just pass me some water, please? Water? I think you mean Evian. There's something special about how it comes from high up in those pristine mountains. I know Evian's the official water of Wimbledon, but I didn't know it was carbon neutral. It's been carbon neutral since 2020, and that bottle that you are holding right now, that's made of recycled plastic. Of course you've got all the facts. I love it. But should we crack on with the show? Evian's 750 millilitres and 1.5 litre bottles are made from 100% recycled plastic. This excludes the label and cap. I'm Matt Edmondson. And I'm Molly King. And together, we're Matt and Molly. And we're also taking you between the lines at Wimbledon. And with a little help from our pals at Evian, we're exploring what makes these championships so special. Tell you what, Matt, things are getting pretty serious now, aren't they? They are. I'm doing my serious voice. Here it is. I can't believe it. We've only got a few pods left. I know. And do you know what, Matt? We've got to savour every single moment as we hurtle towards the semi-finals of the tournament. It does feel like a hurtle, doesn't it? We've got a jam-packed show today. Coming up, we're going to be joined by a tennis legend who taught himself to play using a frying pan. It's an unbelievable story it and really you're going to want to hear it. Plus, we've got our tennis guru, Charlie Eccleshare, who's going to be telling us everything we need to know about the final four players left standing in the men's and women's draw. He's not just going to be telling us about it. Ah, oh, <laughs> you're so dramatic. Don't make me say Come it. On. <laughs> Come on. It's in the script, Mom. It's part of our contract. <laughs> He's going to be echo-sharing information Thank on Wimbledon. Thank you very much. He'll how, appreciate how that. How did I get that so wrong? So hold on to your strawberries and cream as we go between the lines <laughs> at Wimbledon. You're unbelievable. We're back on the roof at the Broadcast Centre here at Wimbledon. I tell you what, this is one of the best views I've ever seen. Well, thank you very much. uh, I've been working out. Oh, I knew you'd bring it back to you somehow. Right, we are next to Court 18, (laughs) sandwiched between uh, number one court and centre. And well, yesterday I was lucky enough to spend the day on the centre court as a spectator, not a player. I should clarify. Definitely should clarify. I saw an incredible game. So it was Novak Djokovic, who was incredible and sturdy and almost robotic out there come back two sets down against Yannick Sinner and I've got to say the crowd was so on Sinner's side because they, he lost the first two games it was like uh, not, not a single point scored by him for the first two games and we thought oh no it's going to be a short match this yeah and then he fought back so hard my goodness me it lasted hours. So how was it then in general? Tell me everything that you learnt. Who did you see? I'm glad that you did manage to get in touch, obviously, with Kate Middleton and Mm, William. Just to arrange hanging out. I thought you would put that call in. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll be honest. I was sat sort of with a really good view of the Royal Box, but at a distance where I couldn't necessarily make out if it was them. Right. And so I was sort of, my mum was with me and I was sort of saying to mum, I think that might be Kate Middleton and Prince William over there. Mm. We were both trying to have a little look, zooming in on our phones. It didn't help. <laughs> and I was like, I'm convinced, I'm convinced. They're, so in, they're at the front of the Royal Box. And then I went to the Evian suite and I saw them on the TV and I was like, yes, it's definitely them. <gasps> and I thought, of course, it's so like them to come and steal my limelight. Answer me this. How much time did you spend watching the Royals versus the tennis? <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> Um, it was a really exciting day, though. I um I don't really know what the etiquette is when it comes to the uh, the little desserts in the Evian suite because there's an afternoon tea there. Yeah, lovely spread. Oh. Is it acceptable to take one of the reusable cups and fill it bottom to brim with 
macarons. Is that what they're Absolutely. called? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, of course. Good. People are like, what's he drinking? He's drinking pastries. <laughs> That's the way to do it, I would say. <laughs> Just glugging back cake out of a cup. All in all, it was an absolutely brilliant day. Although I think today could be better because we've had some brilliant guests in this podcast. We've spoken to the great and the good from the world of tennis and entertainment. But Mole, I have not been this excited. Well, I don't think ever. How are you feeling? I'm feeling absolutely buzzing because, Matt, I know you love dogs. Yes. I love dogs. Yes. Turns out Wimbledon loves yes. dogs. Yes. Although, to be fair, this dog works a lot harder than our pooches. I mean, mine hasn't done a day's work in his whole life. Neither's Alfie. He doesn't know how lucky he is. Oscar, you're a charmed West Highland Terrier. Uh, that is because joining us on the podcast, we have Steve, who is a human man, Mol. Yes, he and is. And Hugo, who is a dog. And it's important to just remember those names and remember the classifications. I've written down Hugo, brackets dog, Steve, brackets man, just to help us. Steve, first things first, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. What, what breed is Hugo? Hugo's an English Springer Spaniel and he comes from the, the Spaniel Rescue Centre in Devon. He's only three years old. He was a bit of a problem child. So uh, we, we took him on. We take several dogs on from Springer Rescue because they know the traits that we're after. Okay. Um, he, he'd eaten his bed, so uh, he'd pulled his uh, owner over, broke his wrist. Oh, no. So, so we took him over. He was a problem at first, but now he's probably one of the best search dogs I've, I've ever had. And I've oh. had several over the years. I mean, right now he's enjoying some tummy tickles. Well deserved because he's... He's been working hard. As of you, you're part of the security team here. So tell us what your responsibilities are and how you work alongside Hugo. We search everything that comes into Wimbledon, every, every item on every vehicle to uh, ensure it's safe. Uh, Hugo works very hard. We also cover um, the, the entire area. We've got dogs in the golf course just to ensure that's safe. Oh, yeah. And uh, main priority is the safety of everybody that comes to Wimbledon. Now, a lot of the stuff that's coming into Wimbledon will be food-related. Now, I can't, I literally can't eat a piece of toast without Oscar, my dog, hovering around my ankles, <laughs> hoping that a crumb falls off. And in, in desperation, as if I've never fed him, he'll snaffle it right up. How do you make sure that when Hugo's getting excited about something, it's not the idea of 30 kilograms of strawberries rather than something, you know, untoward. Exactly. Firstly, I'd like to say his uh, best friend is called Oscar. He lives with uh, my other dog, who's Oscar. He's uh, another black and white spaniel. Um, it's down to training, basically. Um, we, we, he would, won't get rewarded if he finds anything else other than the explosives. So, so he knows that he's just looking for explosives. We, we train them out of food. You know, we put food out for them. And if they show any interest in food, they won't get a reward. Wow. And what are some of these traits then that you're looking for? I'm not trying to pitch you, Alfie, but, you know, he does like to get involved with things. What are some of these things that you go, God, yes, this dog would make a, a great sniffer dog? It's a drive, basically, mm. you know, within the gun dog breed they do have that and uh, of course that's what we're looking for uh, if, if they're interested in playing with the tennis ball because that's you know most of the dogs are rewarded with the tennis ball yeah Alfie is and, and they, they want to play that game you know and, and that's it is a game to the dog obviously he doesn't know he's looking for hexamethylene triproxide diamine or he wouldn't do it <laughs> He just wants the ball. And I'll tell you what, if you like tennis balls, where better to be than Wimbledon? You've hit the dream, you've hit the jackpot here, Hugo. Exactly. We found several this week. Yeah. I was going to say, that must be amazing. Um, should we be worried, Steve, that Hugo has yet to react to this explosive chit-chat? <laughs> oh, God. Well, he has now. Oh, he has. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> you've been keen to get that, He's Jake, saying that this you. podcast is dynamite. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> he's now just chilling and watching the tennis. He's, he's turned his focus to he's the a Nadal game. Fan, yeah. yeah. Well, it's all the balls, isn't it? When my dog watches tennis on the TV, mm. it's quite stressful oh, because gosh. he does try and chase the balls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why I don't think he's intelligent enough to do this job. You never know, Matt, all right? Steve, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And for introducing us to Hugo. He's an absolute babe. Yeah, and Hugo, thanks to you too. <laughs> Well, it is time to welcome our next guest who's going between the lines at Wimbledon. We're excited about this one because we are joined by a legend of the game who is not only one of the sport's greatest entertainers, he also has the most incredible story which we cannot wait to hear. Ilina Stasi called him a maestro. John McEnroe reckons he's a genius, while the great Rod Laver believes him to be the most naturally gifted player to ever pick up a racket. Present company excluded, obviously, Molly King. Of course. You're very good. His trick shot videos have been viewed hundreds of millions of times. It's none other than the magician Mansour Barami. Hey, Mansour. Hello, Molly. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Nice I'm to happy. see you too. Thank um, you for joining us today. Now, as I said, you must know everyone here at Wimbledon. I, I don't think of this as our Wimbledon. I think of it as your Wimbledon. Because <laughs> I've been watching you here from the broadcast centre roof and you've been schmoozing with everybody. Everybody knows Mansour. How has your day been? Who have you seen and what have you done? Well, I've, you know, I've, I see many uh, familiar faces here every time I come here, you know. And when you've been coming uh, since uh, almost 50 years, you know, so and you get to know many people in the world of tennis. And I'm very fortunate and, and uh, very lucky that I'm still playing, you know, and I see the old friends and... Uh, it's it's just great. Yeah. I was actually watching the Invitational Doubles yesterday and yeah. the crowd absolutely adore you. What is it that you think makes Wimbledon so special? What is it that you love about Wimbledon? I love Wimbledon because it's, it's a very unique uh, event. It's just yeah. the, the fact that you play on grass, uh, the fact that you play all white. I think it's great. You know, I, I love it being watching everyone in, in white on green, on grass, it's just very classy and I uh, I love it. And the, and the fans are fantastic here. Mm. Every time I go to the court, every court I go here is, is always packed. And, and yesterday I was playing at 12 o'clock. Uh, my court at 11.30, there was nobody could come close. It was just packed. Wow. And it's just it's just great to, to, to see that. It's, uh, that. That's what I love yeah. about uh, Wimbledon, yeah. Well, you are such a big draw for the crowds and you, as Mol said, get such a great reaction. And I guess we know you from watching amazing trick shots and amazing uh, sort of theatrics out on court. But your life story is remarkable. And I, I want you to walk us through some of that now. So take me back to when you were younger and talk to me about the first time you picked up a frying pan. That takes us to 1960, you know, when I was four or five years old. And uh, my father was a gardener in the big, biggest uh, sport complex in Iran. And that was in the city of Tehran. And um, when I look back now, in those uh, years, those days we had in Iran, that was the, there was 13 tennis courts in the country of uh, 30 million people. That wow. was all we had as tennis courts. So uh, the t courts were reserved for the members, for the for the rich people, and I wasn't one. So, uh, but I eventually they said to okay. You you can come here, but only as a ball boy. So I was getting like 10 cents per hour ball boying for people. And I did that from age 5 to 13. And then when I was 13, 
the federation, they needed new players. They knew I had some talent. And so they gave me two rackets and they said, you can play. But up to then, I was playing with a dustpan, with a frying pan, with a piece of wood, the, or wow. with the palm of my hand. And I never had a tennis coach, tennis lesson in my life. So I taught myself just by watching how people play. And, and that's, that's why the way I play today and people seems to like what I'm doing in the court because I never had a, a coach to, to say, okay, Mansoor, stop this uh, uh, nonsense and you have to play uh, serious tennis. So for me, it was just a game and it's still a game. You know, tennis is given me so much. I mm. love playing tennis, but I didn't uh, play tennis to become rich. Because when I started playing and when I was like uh, 20 years old, there was no money in tennis. Uh, and it's just a game. I, I love entertaining people. I am the happiest man when I'm on the tennis court with the crowd. And uh, if there is no crowd, I, don't, I just don't go to the court. I don't want to go to the court. <laughs> yeah, you can really see that yeah. watching you, can't Yeah, you can. Yeah. How did it feel? Describe the feeling to me of, you know, you've been playing with a frying pan. How did it feel when you felt your first racket? I mean, it must have felt a lot easier, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, my first racket, you're talking about my first racket. I was 12 years old. My hero, my idol, Iranian idol, gave me a racket. I was ball boying for him. So at the end of the day, he said, you are a good ball boy today. So here is a racket for you. And that racket, I... It was the best gift for me yeah. of my life, maybe. And uh, I couldn't sleep that night. I went to bed with that racket and I didn't sleep the whole night. I was just so happy, excited about, you know, to have this racket. And the day after, one of my friends said, Mansoor, let's go, come on, let's go. Let's go try your racket. It's fantastic. You have a racket. He was allowed to play. I was not allowed to play on the court. And it was like 1 p.m. and in August, hot August day, it was 45 degrees. So we went to the court. After one minute, I saw myself surrounded by five guards. And uh, I knew I was in trouble. So one of these guards, he, he just grabbed me and he took me above his head. One time, four time, five time, seven time, he hit me on the ground. I was bleeding all over my head, uh, dizzy. I couldn't move and I saw him going to, to my racket and I said, please don't touch my racket. Leave my racket alone. And he took my racket and he put it on a step and he smashed it in two. Oh that was my, my first racket that I had in my life. <laughs> but then at 13, they gave me two rackets, the Federation. They knew, they knew I had some talent, so they needed new players for the new generation. And they said, you can play as long as you want and just 10 hours, 15 hours, anything. So once I had the racket in my hand, everything was really very easy. And you went from that to then playing in the Davis Cup for your country when you were 16, is that right? Yes, yes. After when I was 13, they allowed me to play. And at 16, I was a member of the Davis Cup team. Uh, until age 20, 21, I played. I started to playing the 17, 18. That I started playing the ATP tournaments. My ranking was getting there, you know, and uh, I was doing pretty good. And then the revolution happened in Iran, and the Islamic Republic 
and the rulers there they said that we don't want tennis anymore it's a imperialist a capitalist game and it's forbidden so i had for three years and a half i didn't hit one ball no not allowed to play i could see in the tennis courts we had only clay courts there were trees were growing in the courts and that was heartbreaking for me mm. and then uh, I was very lucky somehow I had just one possibility to leave the country and I left for France. So basically from age 20 to 30 I didn't play professional tennis and uh, whatever I've done was after the age of 30, you know, when I became French citizenship and then I, it was easier to, to travel. Then I won a few tournaments in doubles and... French Open final and... Uh, I mean, that is a wild, incredible. wild story. Take me back to that first week in France then. So you've had three years, three and a half years of not yeah. being able to play tennis. Yeah, yeah, so when right. you get to France, what do you do? I flew from Tehran to Nice and I arrived at the airport. I tried to communicate with people. I could speak English but not French. So I came to the, that uh, tourism office, they call it, and I asked the lady, can he help me to find a, a hotel? And she said, yeah, right, 8th of August in Côte d'Azur, Nice, south of France. Good luck. There is no room, no hotel, and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And I see in face, in, in front of me, Casino Rule. I say, that's my destiny. This is my luck, lucky day. Yeah. I have to go to the casino. <laughs> so I go to this casino and 15 minutes later I come out with zero cents. Oh my god. I've lost everything. Oh, yeah. so, oh my god. So, so you're worse off now. You've yeah. got absolutely nothing. You can't stay anywhere. So you're having to sleep rough for a bit. Yeah. Tell me, how do you get from that position into convincing people to let you come and play tennis with them? It was very, very difficult, you know, and when I lost all my money. I went to the office of Iran Air to make my reservation for the day after to come back. I'm crossing the street. I see a friend of mine that I had not seen for four or five years. And his name was Farrokh. And he says, oh, my God, Mansour, I'm so happy to see you here. You did the best move. You had no future in Iran. You, you did the best move to come here. When did you come? And I said, well, I, I arrived like three hours ago, you know. But um, the problem is I'm going back tomorrow. He says, you were stupid. There's no way. Well, how come? I said, well, I went to casino. I lost all my money. And he says to me, listen, I'm, never, I'm not going to let you go. Uh, I'm playing a, a club uh, tournament here. I'm in the final. Come, maybe we see somebody in the Federation can help you. That's how I stayed from there. That but is an amazing story. I could honestly, listen to you for the next two hours. I it's know. incredible, isn't it? This needs to be made into a film. This, your story is unbelievable. Well, there is a, the, a film is in development. You know, is is going. Well, I'm good. glad it's a story that deserves to be heard. I know. If if this were to be made into a film, just tell me this: Who would you want to play you in it? Oh, that's good, isn't it? Well, it's it's not really up to me. You know, <laughs> I I am uh, I can just advise them you know to, yes. to show how we can do but then to bring the ag actor it must be someone who can play uh, a yes. little bit yeah. tennis yes so. of course yeah. tennis handsome and tennis is what we're looking for <laughs> drink more of what makes you sparkle try Evian's new sparkling water fresh from the Alps with light fine added bubbles discover Evian's sparkling water 
Who needs bubbles when you can have sparkles? Can you talk to us about some of the tricks that you've invented or, or, or moves that you've done or, or the sort of choreography of what you plan out on the court? How much of it is happening in the moment? How much are you improvising? And do you ever sit and think, oh, I'm going to try this thing out on court. That will be entertaining. Uh, to tell you honestly, I, I don't plan anything before going to the court. Really? really? No, you can't plan everything. I, some people think that I'm uh, practicing these things, you know. You cannot find one, not one player who can say to you, yes, I have seen Mansour practice uh, hitting the, the, the between the leg shot, you know, or, or top backspin. None of them. I never try, I never practice those. When I practice, it's only solid tennis. I just uh-huh. hit normal to normal like anybody else. It just shows how incredibly talented you are. Because well, thank you. It's hard enough to hit a ball over a net, let alone do some of the moves yeah. you're doing, the choreography. I mean, the crowd go absolutely wild for you. We've seen it here. They yes. absolutely adore you. Yes. And do you know what? Over the last few episodes here on the podcast, we've been asking our guests to write a quote for us that we can then give to our next guest. Yeah. And honestly, I cannot think of a better person to ask than you for a quote that's just something that you've picked up along your journey, something that could possibly inspire our next guest, because, my God, have you got the story to tell? Yes, yeah, so the last one, this, this has a message in it from Sophie Morgan. Now, Sophie's an yes. amazing woman. Yeah. She's a, a television presenter. She's a sports broadcaster. She was in a uh, car accident when she was 18. So yeah. she's uh, paraplegic now. She's in a wheelchair. And we asked her for an inspirational quote. We don't know what this we is. Okay. Um, so, Mansour, why don't you take it out? I don't have my glasses. I, uh, we can read on your we behalf. Can read it. Yes, absolutely. We can read it to you. Okay, so Sophie has written... Always keep driving forwards. No matter what comes around the corner, you got this. It's quite good, that's that, great. isn't it? Really yeah. good. Yes. It's a positive message. So we'd and like. She's so positive, isn't she? Is, yeah. 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 We'd like a similar message from you. Something that's inspirational. It can be silly. It can be serious. It can be whatever you want. We won't see what it is until the next podcast, and our next guest will get to read it. So yeah. have a little think, and you can jot something down. We've got some paper and a pen for you. So, man. So whilst you think about that, we have loved your story. We've loved getting to know you today. We can't thank you enough for your time, but we still want to know a little bit more, if that's okay. So, in honour of Centre Court turning 100 this year we're going to put 100 seconds on the clock and throw you some quick fire questions don't overthink it they're all very silly are you ready Mansour yeah everything comes out just say it you just say it that's it don't overthink it let's start the clock first one mountains or beach mountains Henman Hill or Murray Mound both of them oh doubles or singles uh Nowadays, doubles. <laughs> Still or sparkling water? Sparkling. What's your favourite food? Cello kebab. It's a Persian food. Oh, Yum. sounds good. What time do you go to bed? Uh, 11. Mm. What advice would you give your younger self? What I was, uh, try your best. If you could go back into the past, what moment would you revisit? My childhood when I was uh, in this sport complex in Iran. Which tennis player would you most like to play against? I loved Peter McNamara, who died, passed away four years ago. 
He was a true legend, a great person, great champion, and I loved every time I played against him. Where is your favorite place to play tennis? Here we are in Wimbledon, but you know, I say every every tennis court for me is my favorite place. Run, walk, or cycle? Uh, cycle. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Paris. If you weren't a tennis player, what would you have been? Tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you have a nickname? Nounours. You know, it's a little bear. Oh, nice. The, the little kids call me Nounours. Nounours. They couldn't say Mansour, they say Nounours. Nounours. Yeah. Now, Mansour, there's a lot of debate at the moment as to who is the greatest of all time when it comes to tennis, both in the men's game and in the women's game. As things currently stand, what's your opinion on that? Who is the greatest tennis player you've ever seen? <gasps> Good question. You know, really, it's it's not easy. Can I say a few names? Or? Yeah, go on. Uh, I might uh, ask you to narrow it down to one. <laughs> he will ask that. Uh, okay, if I can say, I can say uh, Bjorn Borg, uh, Rod Laver, uh, Federer, McEnroe, Djokovic. Yeah. But Nadal. if you had to pick one of if those. Pick one. Uh, it's, it's, I, right now. I love right them now. all. I okay, really, no, what I about this? What about this? In your opinion, what would be the most exciting match out of those players, two of them playing against each other? Yeah, at their prime. Yeah. I would have loved to see, for example, if we could compare uh-huh. Borg at his best with Nadal, you know, okay. with the same equipment, you know, with yeah. the same equipment. Because so many people say, well, but you, you cannot compare the, the wooden rocket with the, 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 the equipment that we have today, the material, everything is just so different. So Good answer. Yeah. Mansour, honestly, we could have chatted to you all day. Yeah. This, I know, but that's why I say... This podcast is a I feel like Mon and I need to sort of take you out for dinner and I get know. the other <laughs> half of the story. And yeah. if not, at the very least, we're going to come and watch this movie when it's out. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, My Mansour. Pleasure. We've Thank loved you. chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. How great was Mansour? What an incredible guy. An inspiration. So we are on the top of the Broadcast Centre, and I tell you what, this is the place to be. To our left, we've got Henman Hill or Murray Mound, which I tell you what, is filling up quicker than, um, well, you filling up your cup with the macrons earlier. Oh, yes, and that was speedy. Mm. Get him in before anyone caught me. And right in front of us, we've got a TV showing the Nadal game, which is drawing a crowd. I mean, more and more people by the minute. It's an incredible match this is going to go to five sets i think i think so i can't see the score from here but i can tell it's stressful because people are literally sat down it's a cross leg like they're at school about to listen to a nursery rhyme like they're an assembly exactly although occasionally they do either cheer or put heads in hands i'm sure we'll find out more about what's actually gone down when we speak to charlie and he can echo share everything with us later on for now though it is time to welcome our next guest We've been joined by Ella Gaskell. She is a stylist. She works a lot with Evian. And I've got to say, I feel like a bit of a third wheel because, because, Moll, I think you've met your sort of fashion counterpart. I have. The very first thing that you guys did was compliment each other (laughs) on what you're wearing. I was stood there, no one said a word. Not a thing. Well, you did then ask to somebody to comment, which I quickly did, you and did, said you how fantastic in. you look. It's not, it's, if you have to beg for it, it doesn't count. <laughs> you, you do both look amazing, and you have got very similar styles. You've both gone for like the, uh, how would we describe it, like a linen suit. Mm, cotton linen suits, I'd say. But Ella, what would you say? You know more about this than I do. Yeah, they're cotton linen suits, but they're relaxed fit, so they're not the stuffy, too-tailored 
that you can see before. Yeah, you can get too relaxed with that. I saw that photo of Justin Bieber. You know where he was wearing mm. a suit that was like a thousand times too big for him? Yeah. yeah. And you guys are on the right side of that line. <laughs> I want to say that, okay? You both look fabulous, and I'm just saying these things because I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm not fashionable, but thankfully, Ella's here, so maybe I can get some inspiration from you because obviously, fashion's a big part of Wimbledon. Quite a lot of pressure before you come to work out what you're going to wear. What have you noticed out and about as you've been there today? It's been good and it's really varied, which is really nice. You do have, typically people will wear dresses, but then as you've seen with Molly and myself, we've both gone for tailored trouser and short looks. So as you move on, as time moves on, people are being more daring with what they'll wear to Wimbledon, which is great. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah, what kind of looks have caught your eye as you've been walking around? Have you seen things and thought, oh, that's a good one? Yes, I have. I have seen um, a really lovely two-piece set, which is really nice. Um, I love a co-ord. Yes. Yeah, and it's not just the women that are wearing amazing suits. Um, Tom Daly, earlier on in the week, was wearing a bright yellow, really cool suit. Oh, I so love I love that. A bold statement. Push it out of it as well. Yeah. So Ella, how was your day in the Evian suite then? The day in the Evian suite was fantastic. It's such a cool suite. It's my favourite part was the pick and mix. Yeah. Which actually they've said is all from local um, and vegan suppliers, which uh-huh. is really cool and in line with the sustainability. Um, and I love the ping pong table in yes. the suite. Yes. Did you have so a game fun. on it? Um, not yet, but I think I will after this. It's got to be done. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that Hugh Grant was in there as well? Because... <gasps> He was. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I would have been so uncool. You would have been d- we, deeply we uncool. We met Hugh Grant once, and I don't think I could get a single word no, out. No, your legs turned to jelly, didn't <laughs> yeah, they? Yeah, I think I yeah. turned into robot mole. Mm. I was like, hello, Hugh hello, Grant. Hello, Hugh. <laughs> nice I have to seen meet your you. movies. <laughs> your Hughies. No? <laughs> No, okay. Yes, it was, um, you were entranced by him, but who wouldn't be? He's Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's actually a very keen tennis player himself, mm. um, I think. So oh, he loves he? he loves it. Yeah. You should have got on the old ping pong table exactly. against him. I, I tried, but there is still time. Yeah, that's it. There is yeah. still time. The game is on. Um, now, there has been a bit of a dress code at the Evian suite this year, as I discovered when I was stressing out about what to wear coming to the tennis yesterday. Tell us about the Evian dress code. So the dress code is summer smart and eco-conscious yeah so keeping to the typical Wimbledon smart attire but adding an eco-conscious aspect to it now it can be quite difficult for people to really understand what that means and so I've teamed up with Evian to talk to consumers about some top tips the ways that they can dress more sustainably for Wimbledon this year and how can people do that? How can people dress more eco-consciously to big events exactly like Wimbledon? There are so many ways that we can make small changes that really do have a big, collectively big impact. One of my main tips is just don't buy so much stuff. Mm. Buy less, buy better. I always say if you're going to wear it less than 30 times, don't buy it. So you've got to get 30 wears. That's good, good. Mm. Yeah, I love I this. I have to wear the same pair of jeans 30 times in succession without washing them. So <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> okay, love that tip. Yes. So buy better, buy less. Yep. Yeah. And then also look at renting your outfits. There's some great platforms that we can um, rent and get an amazing outfit. Wear it once and then move on to the next one. And yeah. then that has a whole new lease of life. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is if you are going to buy new, do look at what the fabrics are. Mm. There are some fabrics like organic cotton that use less water and then have a less of an environmental impact. It's interesting, isn't it, with sustainability, how now it's just so praised and encouraged to wear things more than once and to really yeah. celebrate that. And I think, am I right in thinking Kate Middleton was here yesterday yes. and she wore the same dress that she wore yep. last year? Yeah, with so 
social media now, we're kind of encouraged to not wear the same thing twice yeah. because everything is captured. But with someone like Kate Middleton paving the way for you can wear it twice, yeah. it's brilliant. It so really is. I think, yeah, we do. Yeah, what, I love that as a statement. It's fantastic, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. And what did you think of her look? So good. She nails it. Every time she, she just looks fantastic. Yeah. She's got her style. She rocks it. It's great. Yeah, it is a great dress. I hope to see it again for a third year next year. Well, you might great. do. I love a polka dot. Ella, thank you so much for talking with us. We've absolutely loved it. No, thank you for having me. Dramatic scenes here on Wimbledon Between the Lines. We've just seen Charlie Eccleshare hot-foot it from centre court, where you've been watching one of the most intense games of the entire tournament, right? Absolutely, yeah. Please, Eccleshare everything with us. <laughs> I think that would take a while. I mean, he just I was sat on court and just sitting there for four and a half hours watching it was exhausting. Rafael Nadal has won somehow. I don't know how he's done it. He won 7-6 on a Champions tie break in the fifth set against Taylor Fritz. He lost the first set. He was injured. He looked like he was going to have to quit the match. I thought for all the world he was. Even Nadal, who's done some ridiculous feats of escapology in his time, even by his standards, this was utterly mad. But somehow he's dug it out. I, I, I honestly don't know how. And I'm sure going into this, you could never have imagined it would have been such a close match, right? Did you kind of expect that he might breeze through this? I thought Fritz would give him a match. Fritz had beaten him earlier this year, though Nadal at that time as well had a really bad injury, as it turned out. And Fritz has been playing well, so I thought it would be close, but I didn't think it would be like that. I mean, that was yeah. just epic. Like, yeah, absolutely extraordinary. And yeah, when Fritz won the first set and when he went two sets to one up, it, you were just like, and Nadal was clearly struggling. He went and had medical timeout. He had the trainer on. It just looked over for him, but somehow... He does what he does and found a way. There was a really similar narrative, actually, on the game yesterday when I was on centre court. So it was Yannick Sinner versus Novak Djokovic. And Sinner got the first two sets. And we thought, my goodness me, Sinner's onto a winner. Mm -hmm. We couldn't believe it. And then exactly the same as you've just described. Somewhere, somehow, Djokovic just chipped back at that game. I mean, I didn't think it could get more dramatic than that game yesterday. And it feels like this one has topped it already. Yeah, it's mad. Like, and you do get that at tournaments sometimes. You have an amazing match and it kind of, there's the sort of hold my beer moment and it just builds and builds and builds. And even yesterday, I mean, Djokovic, incredible, as you say, coming back from two sets to win in five. And then later in the day, Cam Norrie won in five sets. Yeah. So three of the four quarterfinals went the distance, all hugely dramatic in their different ways. I mean, the people who saw Cam Norrie on court one yesterday were coming off just like, I can't believe what we've just seen. Another Brit in the semi-final, the first one since Andy Murray. Djokovic doing what he did, Nadal doing what he did. This is what Wimbledon's all about. Those late epics into early evening when the crowd's so up for it. Just breathtaking. So Cam Norrie is my sweepstake pick now. Remember that, guys? Remember oh, that, yeah. Now you're going to remind us yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. I could not believe the match yesterday. I was absolutely hooked to watching it on the TV. Like you say, five sets. You just couldn't call it, could you? No, and again, I mean, Norrie really struggled early on. First set was really bad. He won the second set, but still wasn't great, and then lost the third, and you just thought, is this going to be one where he freezes a little bit on the big occasion? But then he came back into it, won the fourth, and then in the fifth, I do think he was really inspired by the crowd. They really got behind him. That was his moment where he really connected with the Wimbledon crowd, yeah. uh, the British public. 
And often they, there is this one moment. Andy Murray had it against Richard Gasquet in 2008 where he won an epic five-setter and pointed to his bicep. And this felt like Norrie's equivalent moment. And he's not normally an emotional guy, but he was after that. What's crazy in all of this, we're talking about the three winners from the quarterfinals. And the one we haven't mentioned is Matt, your picnic, Kyrgios. Mm. Yes. And he, the one who we think of as kind of drama central, had the only really serene win of all the quarterfinals. He won in straight sets, had some angsty moments, but he's come through, he's still alive, and he plays Rafael Nadal next. And they've had That's a little bit be of beef before. Incredible. So, yeah, this should be very interesting. That's I just hope Nadal's fit enough. I just hope he can overcome this injury to you know, to do himself justice. Because if he does, that should be another classic. Do you know what? We could have a final, Matt, of you versus me. <gasps> I'm meaning Nick mm. Kyrgios versus Cam Norrie. Stranger things have happened, Matt. You know I live by that quote. You do live by that. You're right. At what point do you think we start sort of considering renaming Murray Mound? Nothing against Murray. But yeah. do you think that this year we need to have a little pauseette and have a bit of a, a Cam Norrie moment for the hill? Norrie's Noel. Norrie's Noel. Norrie's oh. Nook. It's Cam's Climb. Cam's Climb, I was thinking, yeah. Cam's yeah. Climb, guys. Yeah. Cam's no, climb nothing there. from you, Matt. Yeah. No, nothing. Charlie liked it. I was thinking it. Norrie's Noel. <laughs> It works. It would have had to have been amazing to swerve. <laughs> Cam's cap? No, it doesn't work. Mm, we'll uh, keep working tricky. on it. We've got, you know, we've got 48 hours to Yeah, it. yeah. Just under. Charlie, in the last podcast, we asked you for some facts, some good facts. Oh, yeah. About... I wanted some fun ones. Yeah, Matt some fun didn't ones. want fun ones. Uh, no, I said they yeah. could be fun, but... You said you anything know, but fun. Not to caveat them with just being fun. Just facts that will wow us about everyone who's left in the men's and women's draw. So, okay, let's so like, get some facts, Charlie. Okay, what can you Eccle share with quick us? Fire. Should we start with the women? Because we've spoken yes. a lot about the men. Yes, go on. On Jabir, we'll start with her. Yeah. Her nickname is the Minister of Happiness. Yeah. Oh, I love that. But it gives an insight into her personality. Yes. She is this lovely, warm, charming character. Yep. Uh, and also, the first Arab uh, singles player, man or woman, to get to the semi-finals of a Grand Slam. This is a big thing for her. Yeah. And she's spoken about wanting to be an inspiration. So, uh, yeah, a history well, she maker. She certainly is, isn't she? Yeah. Those are some good facts. Were they fun enough for you? They were, actually, yes. Okay. I liked them. Her opponent in the next round is Tatiana Maria. And now, they're friends, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're barbecues together. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm waiting for my invite. It hasn't come, but you know. <laughs> By the way, it's Charlie's meant to be Eccles sharing the fun facts. <laughs> <all right? laughs> Well, the, and, and this is quite well known about it's become a thing, but I think it's so lovely. She has two daughters, a nine-year-old and a one-year-old, and she practices often with the nine-year-old. Her nine-year-old is kind of her hitting partner, wow. which wow. is just so sweet. Yeah. And it's so nice, I think, to have a child old enough to really appreciate their parent while they're still yeah. playing tennis. You know, most, because of the ages, have them uh, have pretty young kids. But there she is with her nine-year-old. And, and apparently when they play, she is, you know, when they knock up and she is giving her advice, this nine-year-old, telling her where she's going wrong. So oh That's God. amazing. Yeah, it's a lovely story. When the one-year-old starts crawling, they're going to be on ball boy or ball girl duties. Yes, <laughs> yeah. play a doubles team against Ex her. Exactly, yeah. it's amazing. One against two. That's a, that is a fun fact. Love that. Simona Halep, um, there are a few about her, and this is a bit self-indulgent, but she's from a small port city in the southeast of Romania called Constanta, and that's where my family, way back when, are from as well. Okay. So I've always felt this kind of connection with Simona Halep, yes. um, as if I'm kind of supporting a home player. Oh, um, nice. So yeah, a little bit self-indulgent, but 
you know, no, listen, we like it. it was a fun fact, and I, no one can take that away from you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's a, fun, a good, fun Echo Chef fact. And then finally, Elena Rabakina, who Simona plays, and all the women's semifinals are on Thursday, tomorrow as we record on Wednesday. Uh, and she was a very promising ice skater and gymnast. What? Up. Oh my yeah. Gosh. So a multi talented athlete. And I guess gymnastics and ice skate, you know, with your balance and all yes. of that sort of thing might, yeah. might help with your tennis. Those That's are my fun incredible. facts. Those are facts. She's like you. Multi-talented. <laughs> Multi-talented. <laughs> and what about the we'll, men We'll here? rattle through the men. Novak Djokovic, which some will know, but some may not, is that he attributes his extraordinary turnaround in around 2010, 2011 to becoming the, you know, the greatest player or one of them ever uh, to going gluten-free. Okay. And he was watched by a sort of doctor type character who identified he had always had these issues with his breathing and had often had to pull out of matches and this doctor watched him and said that guy clearly is struggling uh he's not able to absorb digest gluten and they somehow got in touch and he told Djokovic this Djokovic switched his diet and the rest is history oh my goodness me he's traded off baguettes for the big wins would you do it absolutely not I love a baguette I couldn't do it yeah Yeah, different kind of bagels for for Djokovic. (laughs) Um, And his opponent, Cam Norrie. So this, just as a quick way of introing Cam Norrie, his mum is Welsh, his dad's Scottish. He talks about his dad having a filthy Scottish accent. It's a direct (laughs) quote. He was born in Johannesburg, then moved to New Zealand when he was a kid, went to university in Texas, and now lives in Putney. So that's Cam Norrie kind of... He's a man of the world. In a nutshell. He really is. He's travelled. So that's him. And then we'll move on to Nick Kyrgios. I mean, yeah, a lot a lot with him. He is a basketball fan, first and foremost. He wishes he could play basketball rather than tennis. And that's why you see him wearing kind of basketball. Yeah. Mm, yes, because he was wearing Jordans, wasn't mm. he, on court the other day? Exactly. And he's referenced this today. Another thing I think is amazing about him is he doesn't have a coach and hasn't done for years and years and years. And basically says, I wouldn't want to wish that on anyone. But it's kind of extraordinary. That is amazing. Isn't it? And then finally, Rafael Nadal, one of the most famous left-handed tennis players, does everything else right-handed. Really? He is right-handed. Everything else? Everything else, so I'm told. (laughs) Um, His uncle, Tony, who coached him, Thought it would give him a competitive advantage to be a lefty, which is true in tennis. It's less common, so... Um, oh, my gosh. What? Maybe that's what we should be trying. Give what? it a go with the old left hand. Well, I'm currently holding my microphone in my left hand, and maybe this is me for the future Maybe now. that's you, yeah. yeah. Switching it around. <laughs> it's, that's such a smart thing from Uncle Tony to say. I know, incredible Competitive yeah. edge. Go against what you normally would do. Mm. That's, it's amazing. So you see him playing golf, uh, and he's doing it right-handed. And it just looks really strange because he's such a, a famous lefty. But yeah, righty and everything else. Well, Charlie, thank you for those fun facts. I'm over the moon with them. Are you happy with the them? The quality superseded what I was expecting. <laughs> it did. And I, my expectations were high. So, you know, we're very pleased, Charlie. I don't know how we're going to continue the podcast. It's all downhill from here, guys. <laughs> oh, Charlie, thank you so much. And thanks for putting up with us. I mean that mostly. absolute pleasure. Yeah, I was going to say. That (laughs) That was the royal eyes there. The look you gave me there. The kick under the table. You knew what was going on. The gesture with that. (laughs) Not so subtle gesture. Can you believe it? We've got another podcast in the bag there. And the next one is going to be out on Saturday. So please join us for that. Yes, we'll be looking ahead to the finals of Wimbledon 2022. I'm looking forehand to that one. Forehand, forward, forward. 
I, I want to say you aced it, but... Each year, Evian give away 30 Wimbledon tickets to support a chosen community group in the UK. For 2023, they've selected the Young Urban Arts Foundation, who strengthen well-being and build opportunities for disadvantaged youth in London through creativity and culture. The Evian team look forward to welcoming members of the Young Urban Arts Foundation to Wimbledon next year.